0: The reading this morning is from Revelation 1, 9 to 19, and Revelation 22, 12 to 21. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth, was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Revelation 22, 12 to 21. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this scroll. anyone adds anything to them God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll and if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll he who testifies to these things says yes I am coming soon amen come Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.
1: Thanks, uh, Stephen Coe. Uh, yes, good to see um, lots of new faces, uh, familiar faces, faces from Highfields. fields. Um, very appropriate that um, John and, and Josie, the family here this morning. It's great to have you with us. It's, it's only appropriate really, isn't it? It was, it was, it was only a matter of time. Um, we stole Dave and Amy Lawther. So they were going to steal someone back. So they're stealing back Diane Haley. And um, the message this morning, as I was thinking and praying this last week, is very much for Diane Haley. But I hope we'll see that it is for all of us. Uh, As we turn to this passage, these two passages actually, in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 22. But um, just a bit of congregation participation as we start. There's a question for you and uh, it's a hands-up job, okay? So can you put your hands up, please? if you're in Christian ministry. Okay, right, so there's a handful of people there. Okay, I'm just gonna ask that question again. Bearing in mind this is me and I like asking trick questions. I'm just gonna ask that question one more time. Can you put your hand up please if you're in Christian ministry? Okay, you're starting to get you're starting to get the point. We we are all, aren't we, as Christians in ministry, we are all called to follow and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Ephesians as he talked about the gifts given to the church, he said that they were given to prepare God's people for works of service or works of ministry. We are all in ministry if we're Christians, but it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Uh, it was just me. It's hard sometimes serving and following Jesus. Just look at the rest of the vision of Revelation, if you've got any doubt about that, that the Christian life can be a difficult one. It can be a hard one. Hence, Revelation's message that we looked at as a church some months ago now, hold on, God is in control, the Lamb wins. And the church and the old apostle, John, exiled on Patmos, needed that message. Hold on, God is in control, the Lamb wins, Jesus wins. They needed that message. But that message needed to be bracketed by a sight of the Jesus who gave this message, who gave this vision. John and his readers and we this morning need a sight by faith of the Savior. A sight that will sustain and satisfy us in our long obedience to Jesus Christ. Or as John Owen put it, A sight of Christ's glory. That's what we need in the Christian life regularly. That's what we need in the Christian ministry. A sight of Christ's glory. There's a bit of church jargon for you. By glory, what we mean is just his godness. Just who Jesus is. How wonderful and how glorious Jesus is. I just happened to pick up yesterday um, this little but very dense book called The Glory of Christ by John Owen. John Owen the Puritan actually wrote this pretty much on his deathbed. And he wrote these words right at the end of his life. And this was his last and great topic before he died and went to see Jesus. He wrote, let me read a few things that he wrote. Only a sight of Jesus' glory and nothing else will truly satisfy God's people. Listen to this bit. I love this bit. The hearts of believers are like a magnetized needle which cannot rest until it is pointing north. So also a believer magnetized by the love of Christ will always be restless until he or she comes to Christ and beholds his glory. I had a little experience of this on a small scale yesterday. The family will tell you, or maybe the kids didn't notice. Kath will tell you, I was a grump yesterday. I was not happy and nothing I was doing yesterday, including the usual things that satisfy me and make me happy, none of them were working. And I was consistently a grump throughout most of the day until I picked up a book that spoke of Jesus and read these passages in Revelation and started reading for the umpteenth time, The Glory of Christ. And something changed in me yesterday as I did that. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Because I trust in Christ. And I'm just restless. Until my life lines up with Jesus and I see and look on and behold something of his glory. We, die and Haley and all of us, need this sight of him to sustain us in service and in suffering. We need to look at Jesus, and we're going to try and do that this morning, with the eyes of faith. You know, One day we will see him with our eyes, but this morning we can see him by faith through his word. By the way... Um, where are, where are the Sunday school kids? You're all so well-behaved and quiet. I can't make out where you are. Uh, you're much better behaved than the adults. Hello. Can I just say, you know, the, the Jesus that you keep hearing about Sunday after Sunday when you go to Sunday school, the Jesus you keep reading about in the Bible, you, you, this might seem really obvious to you, but I just want you to be excited about this this morning. Or maybe this hasn't really struck you for the first time. You will see this Jesus with your eyes. You will see him. But you don't have to wait until that day when you see him with your eyes to see him, because you can see him by faith in God's word, which is what we're going to try and do this morning. Uh, So Diane Haley, where's Diane Haley, by the way? I keep talking about Diane Haley. Hi, sorry guys. Hi, Diane Haley. As you move to high fields, not because it's high fields, I hasten to add, but as you go into this new phase of ministry, you will need this regular sight of Christ. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I want all of us to be encouraged to look to him. And I can't think of a better way, by the way, to identify the idols in your life. Sorry, Haley. I mean, you probably know this already. There's no better way to identify the idols in your life, the things that you're prone to worship instead of Jesus. No better way, I don't think, than going into full-time Christian ministry. In a local church. Because that's when you find out what your biggest potential idols are. Your your use of gifts. Your desire to get the praise of people. Your desire for emotional fulfillment, maybe. Whatever it might be, your idols start to rise up when you're serving Christ full time. And you need this sight of Jesus to sustain you. And to satisfy you when other things won't. So, I want to give us a bit of time to firstly gaze on Jesus this morning. That's going to be from Revelation chapter 1. And then secondly, we're going to go to Revelation 22 to consider a couple of particular heart cries, which are a great litmus test of whether it's really Christ we're serving. A couple of things that should rise up in the heart of a believer when they have this vision of Jesus in his word. So let's do that, shall we? First of all then, this is our first point. We, we have here in Revelation chapter 1, a Christian sustaining sight of Jesus Christ. A Christian sustaining sight of Jesus Christ. This passage in Revelation 1, more than many other passages I can think of in Scripture, helps to biblically calibrate how John and we see Jesus. Don't we who follow Jesus need to see him clearly and, and rightly and in a balanced way? Don't you find as you go through the Christian life, you realize from time to time, oh, I've just got my, my picture of him is just skewed, why is that? Probably because I'm not spending enough time in the Bible and seeing what it says about Jesus. We get a biblically balanced, calibrated picture of Jesus in his word, which is what we're going to look at this morning. Do you remember, a lot of you remember this, back when we were working through Revelation as a church, and I, I seem to recall that most of this was on Zoom, the dreaded Zoom. Do you remember I mentioned early on in Revelation that back in 2020, the AA did a survey and asked the question, who's your dream passenger? For a long car journey. Do you remember that one? Who's your dream passenger for a long car journey? Uh, most people apparently mentioned a relative, which is, is good to know, reassuring to know. But then once famous names started being mentioned, there was a ranking order. Number one on that list. Anybody remember who it was? Number one on that list, Stephen Fry. Obviously, this is a, a UK survey. Stephen Fry. Number two on the list, David Attenborough. Number three, Churchill, he was always going to make it in there somewhere, wasn't he? Number, f- <laughs> Number four, I'm sorry, I don't know why I laugh at this one in particular, Elvis. Yes. For those of you too young to know who Elvis was, um, come and chat to Gaynor her afterwards. Um, Elvis, fourth on the list. Number five, Jesus Christ. Now, that's interesting on several levels, isn't it? First of all, it's interesting that Jesus appears on the list. He still appears on the list which is quite amazing in our culture, but also he's number five. And that says something about our culture too. But it it raises an interesting question for us, doesn't it? How do we picture the Lord Jesus? Would you, Christian, I'm talking to for the moment, would you want Jesus Christ in your car? I'm glad to see a lot of you nodding. I mean, that's the immediate reaction, I hope, of a Christian, isn't it? Of course, he's my savior, he's my brother, he's my friend. He's the one who said, let the children come to me. Of course I'd have him as a passenger in my car and that's a good immediate natural response from a Christian but hang on a second this is also the Jesus who was the scourge of the Pharisees the cleanser of the temple the terrifying stiller of the storm when he stilled the storm the disciples stood back from him squashed to the other end of the boat terrified and said who is this because the wind and the waves obey him this is the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1 And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire, his feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I know at least one family uh, here in church has recently been to the waterfalls in Pontney Vaughan, where we went um, last week, Kath and the kids and I, and we stood behind the, the waterfall, and it's quite quite a feeling when you have the, the waterfall cascading down in front of you. If you've ever been there after heavy rain, it's, it's really loud. We've been to the Reichenbach Falls and stood by them, and that's deafening. And the voice of Jesus here is described like the sound of those many waters. This also is our Jesus. Yet this is symbolic language, yes, but it's powerful symbolic language that conveys the very real impact of this sight of the ascended glorified Jesus upon the Apostle John. Think about who this is, the Apostle John. He'd he'd leaned on Jesus at countless meals. He chatted to him on the road. He was one of the three disciples who was the closest to Jesus and hang out with him the most. This John, we read, when he sees this vision, the first time he's seen Jesus sense, since Ascension Day, we read of John, he fell at his feet as if dead, verse 17. His first sight of Jesus in decades has, G, has John on the floor, at least until he feels the hand on his shoulder in the vision. And here's the familiar phrase he would heard from Jesus so many times before, do not be afraid. You see? We, we need to get a balanced picture of Jesus from his word, don't we? Isn't part of the point of this vision that we long to see Jesus and be with him, but with trembling? We're meant to feel both those things. I want to see you, Jesus. I want to be with you. But that experience, that feeling is linked with trembling. Look at who this is who calls you. Haley? die. To walk with him. Look who it is who calls you to ministry. Look at why you're moving on. Who you're moving on to Highfields for. Certainly it ain't John Reeves. Certainly not for us. And it's not first and foremost for you too. It's for this Jesus. Look who it is you're serving. Let's, let's look very quickly at what we see about Jesus here in Revelation chapter 1. The first thing we see is that he is God. We read in verses 13 and 14 that John sees one like a son of man. That's no mere human description, because if you know Daniel chapter 7 in your Old Testament at all, you'll know that there's there's a figure described there approaching the ancient of days, and this human figure, this son of man, receives a kingdom and receives authority. This is God who's been spoken of here, a human figure who receives dominion and worship. The white hair of wisdom that he's pictured with speaks of him being God. The Old Testament fire of the presence of God that you see in the Old Testament in the pillar of fire and in the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle, that's in Jesus' eyes in this vision. The glowing bronze feet of Ezekiel's vision. These are some of the greatest hits of the Old Testament descriptions of the presence of God used to describe our Jesus. You and I serve the Son of God. So, Haley, die church. It's not about us. As we live the Christian life, as we're in Christian ministry, as we serve Jesus, it's not about us. Find your focus, your fulfillment, your purpose in this Christian that you serve and follow, the Son of God. God, the eternal Son. So he's God. We also see that he's king. He's described in verse 13 as having a robe and a sash. Uh, In the Bible, these are royal insignia. The link with Daniel 7 confirms this. Jesus is king. He rules now. He rules this universe now that is unacknowledged by so many. But one day, all world empires, Putin and Russia and the rest of us too, all world empires will fall at the feet of King Jesus. His kingdom in its fullness is coming. And all Christians, all Christians, so again, just uh, Sunday school guys, if you switched off. For a few minutes, just switch back on for a second. All Christians, whatever their age or experience or gifts, are called to do their part in bringing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they share about him with people and plead with people to come to faith in Jesus, they are doing their part in Jesus' kingdom spreading. We are servants of the king in this already not yet time as we wait for him to return. Then the school school pupil and the college undergraduate, as much as the pastor or elder or ministry trainee fill in the gaps, who lives for Jesus and risks being mocked or cancelled for it, is serving the king of the cosmos. If you're on the verge of being cancelled or you've been cancelled, because you're one of these morons who follows Jesus and believes in true truth, you serve the king of the cosmos. You serve the king. He is God. He is king. He is judge. The sword from his mouth makes us think of his word. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 speaks of the word of God as being like a two-edged sword. And that's what's pictured coming out of the mouth of Jesus here. And when you read Isaiah, um, well, let me read some words to you from Isaiah chapter 49. And this, uh, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, sorry, Hebrew, uh, sorry, Isaiah 11, beg your pardon verse 4, speaking of the branch from Jesse, the servant of the Lord Jesus, with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. In chapter 49 of Isaiah we read this, speaking of Jesus, or Jesus himself speaking actually, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. These words about Jesus having this sword proceeding from his mouth speak of him being judge. When Jesus returns to this earth, he will not explain himself to those of us who feel we have a list of grievance questions for him. He will come as God and king and judge. And even we as his people will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we've done with our lives, although we know we belong to him and we're safe. And we're saved. He comes back as judge. So, Haley, die. The rest of us, as we follow Jesus in Christian ministry, serve in light of his coming again as judge. Do everything you can to pluck people from the flames. Live ready. Live in light of this: that he is God and King and judge. It's quite a quite an awesome, uh, fearsome picture of the Lord Jesus here in Revelation one, isn't it? In light of that, when Jesus says to John, do not be afraid, that might seem a bit ironic. Do <laughs> not be afraid? You're, you're being betrayed here as God and king and coming judge, before whom the whole earth will bow. And yet he's saying, do not be afraid. How can he say, do not be afraid? Because, here's the fourth and last thing we see about him in Revelation chapter 1, he is also a priest. The sash and the robe that Jesus wears here speaks of kingship, yes, but in the Old Testament also speaks of the priesthood as do the lampstands amongst which Jesus is walking here. The lampstands which stand for the churches, but would have made the readers think of the lampstand in the temple. Jesus has been pictured here as a priest. The Old Testament priest would tend the the lamps in in the tabernacle in the temple. He would trim the wicks. He would make sure that the oil was topped up. That was his job. Just as Jesus cares for his churches, Jesus is pictured here as a priest. Not just a priest who looks after God's temple, but as a priest who also is the sacrifice. Look at what Jesus says there. Listen to what Jesus says there. I was dead. Now I am alive forever and ever. No one else in history can say that. I mean, I can think of a few people who could say I was dead and now I'm alive. Lazarus was one of them. But not who can say with these words, I was dead and now I'm alive forever and ever. And then he goes on to say, by the way, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's our priest because he offered the great sacrifice of his own life for us. That's how much he loves us. And now he lives to intercede for us and to tenderly tend his churches. This is the reason we can joyfully follow Jesus, have him, so to speak, in the car with us. Not shrink from his divine kingship because he loved us so much that he shed his blood for us. To put it in the terms that Revelation does, the lion of the tribe of Judah is also the lamb who was slain out of love for us. This king is the king who cares. This is who you serve. This is why you serve. Whether you're a student, full time Christian worker, house parent, busy full time employee, or ministry trainee in Highfields Church, this is who you serve. So you see, you need this regular sight of him or you will end up serving other things. I mean, again, I'm sure you know this to some degree already. Guaranteed. If we don't have this sight of Jesus and know who it is we're serving and following, we will end up serving and worshipping other things. We'll end up serving and worshipping self and other idols in our lives, good things that become ultimate things. Can I encourage you, Di, Haley? can I encourage you, church, come back here regularly to passages like this to look with the eyes of faith Upon Jesus. And then also, can I encourage you to come back to Revelation to consider the heart cries of a person who has come to see this Jesus by faith. And here's what we get to Revelation 22. We've seen these things in Revelation 21 that speak of the glory of Jesus and who he is. And then in chapter 22, we see the heart cries of one who has seen Jesus. Listen to verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Spirit there is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The bride is, as you'll have seen earlier in Revelation, the bride is the church. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Now, I've heard lots of songs and lots of sermons that refer to that as saying, come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. But actually, in context, I don't think that's who the come is being directed at there. Because look at the next part verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That's speaking to people who haven't come to trust in the Lord Jesus yet, to find how satisfying and how wonderful he is. I think the whole verse is directed at them. The Spirit and the church say to those who don't yet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, come. The one who hears this prophecy says, come. The one Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This cry of a Christian's heart, one who has seen the Lord Jesus by faith, is to cry to other people who have not yet seen Jesus by faith, come to all satisfying Jesus. When we are enraptured with this Jesus and all that he is doing and all that, he will will, all that he will do when he returns, we will call people to come to him. Come to the one who gives the living water. This is drawing on imagery from Isaiah chapter 55, where God is described as being the all-satisfying one. Listen, please listen. There is nothing in life that will satisfy you like a relationship with God. There is nothing in life that will satisfy you like Jesus can satisfy Satisfy got the words of that. I won't sing it, and I can't remember all the words. The words of that old song go into my head. Oh, none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me. There's nothing else that will satisfy you like Jesus. How can anyone else compare? How could anyone else satisfy? Coming to Jesus, I can tell you this now, does not make your life and your resulting ministry easy, but it does mean you have come to the one who will always satisfy you and satisfy you for eternity. Don't drink from other cracked cisterns, to use Jeremiah's language. When you have access to the fountain of living waters himself. Haley, die, your ministry, all our ministries are about this. To call people to come to and to walk with this Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and pointing people to him and calling people come to this all satisfying Jesus. Whatever it is that you're giving your life to that's not Jesus will not satisfy and will let you down on the day when Jesus returns. And if you trust in Jesus, you will never be let down. You will never ultimately be disappointed. On that day, you will know you have done the right thing in trusting in him. That's the first cry of the heart that has really seen Jesus by faith. Come to all satisfying Jesus. And the second cry you see in verse 20 of chapter 22 is this. Come, all-satisfying Jesus. So if the first heart cry of a Christian is to the world, come to the all-satisfying Jesus, the other heart cry of a Christian is, come, all-satisfying Jesus. He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, yes, I am coming soon. And John writes, amen, come Lord Jesus. John's obedience has been a long one. He's an old man here, probably in his 90s. Old man John, old Apostle John on the island of Patmos, exiled for his faith. It's been a long obedience. What's he looking forward to? Retirement? Finally getting the recognition he deserves? Nope. He wants to be with Jesus. Everything he's done, everything he's doing, everything he will do, as long as the Lord gives him breath, is in light of his Lord's return. He just wants to see Jesus. You know, over... 16 years, uh, yeah, I think it's 16 years of full-time Christian ministry, I've been constantly amazed at my ability to have a a long list of motivations that actually don't appear anywhere in Scripture. Gaining recognition, finding fulfillment in ministry, in preaching, uh, wanting to receive praise, having more autonomy. The, The list is massive. I won't go through the whole list. You'll never want to hear me preach again. But that's what I found in full-time Christian ministry. This huge list of motivations that I don't find anywhere in the Bible. Here's the one. Here's the big one. The glorious goal. The massive and only worthwhile motivation for service in the Christian life. You do it for Jesus, knowing that you will see him soon. Verse 12 of chapter twenty. In Revelation, we we hear a phrase we hear lots of times in Revelation. Jesus says, Look, I'm coming soon. Sometimes people say, Well, there you go. John got it wrong, didn't he? He recorded Jesus saying, Look, I'm coming soon. It's 2,000 years later. Jesus doesn't come. But the sense of it is, Jesus saying, Look, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming suddenly. You're waiting, waiting, waiting for for me. And one day I'm going to come and I'll come like a thief in the night. It'll be sudden. It'll be soon. And this is the only worthwhile motivation for our Christian service, that we do it for Jesus, knowing that we will see him soon. See, I hate to break this to you. I hate to break this to you and Highfields, Reeves. You're planning on starting ministry with Highfields. When is it? September the 1st. September the 1st. Might not happen. Because Jesus might well come back first. And that's what you're serving for. That's what we're all serving in light of. Every communion reminds us of this. People in this church come here regularly, I think, probably get sick of me saying this by now. Communion. I usually say right at the end as I hold the cup. We do this for how long? We do this until when? Until he comes. We're just doing what we're doing now for a while, serving Jesus until we see him. Haley, Di, bridge member, friend, we are called to come to this Jesus, to look at him by faith. You need to keep your head up in ministry. Keep looking up to Jesus. Keep looking at him and his word. Don't make it about the job, Haley. Don't make it about the CV. Don't make it about the positive feedback. Don't make it about the recognition. Don't even primarily make it about the church members you're called to serve. Though they must come before you, you cannot serve Christ if you don't love his bride. You see that from Revelation. But it's not even first and foremost about them. It's about Jesus. Make every day about God and his glory in Jesus. Take every failure, every flat day, every success, every joy to him and tell him that they are nothing to him, your God, your king, your righteous judge, your priest, your sacrifice, your friend, your all satisfying one and that you can't wait to see him. uh, As uh, the group was singing, I know I often get um, words of uh, hymns come to mind that I quote during the sermon. Um, For those who like it when I quote the old hymns and don't like it so much when I quote the contemporary songs, sorry. That I'm about to quote, Mercy Me, of all people. Mercy Me. I won't try and sing it. You can Google it and find the song later on. There's a song that Mercy Me uh, wrote and performed, and it goes like this. It's, it's called I Can Only Imagine. And this is, this is how we serve Jesus, you see, by looking to him, by faith in his word, knowing that we are going to see him on that day when he returns or on the day when we die and go to be with him. This is our motivation for service, nothing else. Just nothing else is worth it. Nothing else stacks up. Um, The Mercy Me song goes like this. I can only imagine what it would be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And we can start to imagine. And we must daily start to imagine as we see Jesus in his word, see the sight of him that sustains us and satisfies us and cultivate in ourselves these heart cries that the cries of any Christian heart come to Jesus and come Lord Jesus. I, sorry, I've gone over my allotted time already, but I just do, do feel I need to add this. Because there's bound to be, there's bound to be someone there's bound to be some people in this, this room right now. Maybe you've gone to church for donkey's ears. Maybe um, you've hardly ever gone. Maybe it's your first time in church this morning. I don't know. And you haven't seen Jesus by faith yet. You haven't believed that he's lived and died for you. And you haven't trusted him personally yet. What do you do about that? What you do is you, you tell him right now. I mean, Please come and tell me afterwards or Steve or someone else up front. Please come and talk to us afterwards if you're doing this right now. But there's nothing complicated about it. You simply do that. You say, Jesus, I believe that the Bible is true, that you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. You died to be my priest, and you're coming back, and I believe in you, Jesus. And do you know what happens when you do that? Your life and your eternity is changed. In that instant, your eternity has changed and you have hope and you have purpose and you have the living water that will satisfy you forever. It won't make tomorrow easy necessarily or next week or next decade. But you will have hope and joy and purpose and forgiveness and you'll know that until this day you see him. And you can only start to imagine what it would be like when you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your precious and powerful word. Thank you that you can be seen with the eyes of faith by us this morning as we look at you in your word. And thank you that you will be seen one day by us with our physical eyes when we behold you in glory. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray that in a way that Um, some poor preacher cannot possibly hope to achieve, that you, by your Holy Spirit, will make this real to everybody in this room right now. That each of us who have trusted in you will look to you again by faith and say, thank you, Jesus, and keep looking to you daily. Pray for Haley and Di and for all of us that we will be sustained in our walk with you by looking daily to you in your glory. And Lord Jesus, please might it be the case that someone here this morning who has not yet truly put their trust in Jesus, will be doing that right now as I pray. In your precious and powerful and awesome name, I ask all these things, Lord Jesus. Amen.